Hi, and welcome to the Mental Health Crossroads podcast, where we explore the intersection of mental health and developmental disabilities. This week, Tatiana interviews Louis Lord Nelson about universal design learning. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Mental Health Crossroads podcast. I'm joined today by Dr. Louis Lord Nelson, who's going to be talking to us about universal design for learning. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Louis, and for being willing to share your expertise on this topic, which I do want to say going forward, I imagine we'll be saying UDL. So I want to go ahead and clarify that it's an acronym for universal design for learning. Uh, to start us off, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your experience working with people with disabilities and their families? Sure. So I'm a formal special education teacher. And so in that role, uh, one of the things I took very seriously was that I partnered with families on a daily basis for to find the best methods um, and strategies for my students in that general education setting. It was an inclusive setting. Um, I always began the year by calling all of the parents of the students on my caseload. And I'd introduce myself and kind of we'd set up a plan of how to work with one another, how to communicate with one another. And then I always asked them what gifts they saw in their teenager. And um, so I said, I, I would always have some parents who are a little stunned by this question. They would be like, hmm, they're a teenager. But um, <laughs> and then they'd share. And then when I would have my one-to-one with each student, then I got to share that with them. And, and it was just always a neat experience because sometimes the kids were like, really, my parents said that? I'm like, yeah, totally. So you know what? I expect that from you too, because that's a gift for you. Um, and it just, it really helped set a tone for the year. Um, and I'm not saying everything was roses and lollipops by any means, but I am saying that those partnerships were just really, really, really important in how we moved through the year. So uh, after I left the classroom, I received my PhD from the University of Kansas, and actually it was in families and disability policy. Um, our research work was solely focused on family quality of life and partnerships between families and professionals and how to improve uh, both of those areas. Um, so then from there, I went on to work for Noble of Indiana, which is an ARC of Indiana, affiliated with the ARC of Indiana. And I was the director of the Center for Family Leadership. So that tapped into, again, um, what I see as incredibly critical um, is, is family empowerment and how families can connect with other families to help provide some leadership um, information and just general support. And it was soon after that, actually, that I was... Um, asked to interview, and then I accepted a position of the UDL coordinator for Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation uh, down in Columbus, Indiana. And that's where I helped uh, teachers who worked with over 14,000 students uh, learn about and apply universal design for learning. Um, and that district was really connected with CAST, the creators of UDL. I'll tell a little bit about them later on. But um, it's thanks to George's connection, George Van Horn, the director of special education, that connection, and then I grew into connection with them, and then I applied for one of the two postdocs at CAST. And so after four years at BCSE, then I took on a CAST postdoc for a year, and that was cool. I worked alongside with professional development folks, got a little bit of research and other projects, um, and that's where I wrote my first book, which um, is called Design and Deliver, Planning and Teaching Using Universal Design for Learning. 
And then since then, I've worked with uh, educators around the world on their implementation of UDL. And uh, I think it benefits all learners. We all do in the UDL community, we believe that. And um, it really is um, set to help students who are marginalized be successful. And so while it's definitely for all students, um, students with disabilities are essentially a bellwether for when you know that you have successfully implemented UDL, because uh, again, all students um, should be gaining and succeeding. So there's a little bit of background. Thank you. That was a great response because like right off the bat, you gave us like a great like point to remember about universal design, I think is how it benefits everybody and a lot of conversations or like articles you read about it. It does talk about the benefits for people with disabilities or certain groups. But it seems like, you know, if it's done well, everybody is going to end up benefiting. Yeah, I absolutely. appreciate that response. <laughs> um, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what universal design is? Because there's universal design and then more specifically about the UDL framework and its history. Yeah, so universal design, um, that is from the world of architecture and structures. And so that's about making things physically accessible, uh, ramps and curb cuts and such. And Universal Design for Learning builds on that, and they definitely looked, so uh, Ron Mace was the creator of, of Universal Design. And when David Rose, Ann Meyer, and others were looking to name what is now Universal Design for Learning, they were looking at UD and thinking, wow, that is just really what we're talking about when we talk about the accessibility part. But we're talking about a, a different melu. We're talking about learning. Hey, let's call it universal design for learning. That's probably not exactly how they thought about it, but anyway, <laughs> there's a shortcut to it. Um, so to talk about UDL and to help people understand it, I'm going to tap into everybody's like imagination for a second. So if you're listening and you want to close your eyes because you're not driving or something like that, but um, anyway, be safe. <laughs> Fine. Use your imagination. So I want you to envision a classroom where every child feels valued and is connected to what they're learning. That every child is learning how to tap into their motivation um, or what learning is and what motivates them to learn. And in the same classroom, every child is learning what resources uh, to request or they find resources that they can use so they can build their knowledge in a more constructive and imaginative way. And in this classroom, every learner is learning how to set goals and determine strategies that will help them reach their goals. And a really important reason why each learner has these experiences is because they're not only seen and respected as individuals, the teacher understands that each learner, their needs vary based on the topic, the design of the lesson, the materials available, and even the relationship that the learner has with the teacher and other learners. All of that affects how that teacher designs that classroom environment. So what I've just described to you is a classroom that's been intentionally designed so that every day, every learner has experiences to build those really important skills of being purposeful and motivated, resourceful and knowledgeable and strategic and goal-directed. And that's the goal of UDL, that that's it. It's the goal of UDL is that they will come away with essentially those six characteristics. But the reason that we can plan for that is because we understand something called variability, which is that not only is every learner different, 
but we're different in ourselves and our own learning based on the context. And so I listed out kind of what the context. So the framework is based on research from neuropsychology and psychology and education and special education. And it was created by the organization CAST. I referenced it a little earlier, a little earlier um, about 30 years ago. So CAST is an education and research design organization, and it's located in Boston. Um, so it was way fun to live there for the year during the postdoc. <laughs> I loved it. Um, but the founders of CAST, originally they worked in a clinical setting and it focused on students with significant learning needs. Um, they were transfixed by these blooming possibilities of personal computers and the opportunities that students with disabilities now had, both to learn and express their knowledge and skills. What they noticed was that the skill building and the confidence building and the knowledge sharing that went on in the facility, in that clinical setting, it didn't translate to the classroom. And so while the students made gains in the clinical setting, they didn't have access to the same tools and the same strategies in the classrooms. So then the cast founders had an aha, and they knew that it wasn't the child that needed to change, it was the environment. And that aha is now deeply embedded in CAST's mission of until learning has no limits. Because that is all about saying, look, we're not going to limit you, student. We see you as a learner. We see you as a variable, a, a, a student who learns because you have all this variability in the way you learn. And we don't want your learning to have any limits. We see that as um, your potential. That aha moment of it's not the student it's not the issue doesn't lie in the student the issue design it, it lies in the design of the environment so um udl has grown up a lot since then um and i can talk through like the first graphic organizer in 2008 um i believe that uh, for this podcast i gave a, a link out to the CAST guidelines, the CAST.org, but you can also do udlguidelines.cast.org. It'll get you there. Um, but I want everybody to think about the periodic table of elements right now. So I know that's going to take you back to high school or college chemistry days, and maybe those were bad, and I'm sorry, but <laughs> think about the periodic table of elements. Um, that table is organized into groups, and on top of that, you can find out like the atomic number, the symbol, the name, the atomic weight. Um, even like the electrons per shell, and some of them get really specific. And some of the graphic organizers tell you which the elements are found in like gas, the state of gas or liquid or solid or unknown, which is really interesting to me. But anyway, and you can find out subcategories. Well, all of that to say is the periodic table of elements is a graphic organizer of those elements, but there's a lot more to chemistry than what's in the periodic table of elements, all right? So let's flip to the UDL graphic organizers that we call the UDL guidelines. It's the same thing. Um, the UDL guidelines are an organization of concepts of universal design for learning, but it's not the end all be all of everything behind UDL. So I like to explain that. Um, but before I get into it, I'm not gonna talk about necessarily the organization of the guidelines right now, because um, I, I know we have like a limited time here, but I would encourage everybody to go out and look at those guidelines because you will see um, a couple of things that I want to point out. You'll see pictures of brains across the top. 
And that's to help remind us and ground us in the fact that this is all based on neuropsychology and the neurosciences. You'll also see that there's much more educator-friendly language there because it talks about the, 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 the brain's um, networks, but then you get engagement and representation and action expression. I want you to pay attention to the fact that the three columns, they are different colors, and to help people understand that the research was categorized, just like a periodic table of elements. Everything's categorized, but it's interconnected because our brains are interconnected. Um, next, down the left-hand side, you'll notice the words build, or I'm sorry, accessibility and build and internalize. It's because that top left, the top row access, that's where we're giving students access to learning. Next row, build. They're building on what they've been, the skills they've been learning, and then internalize. Those are the kind of activities that we're doing with our students to help them really take learning into themselves so they're blossoming as these expert learners. But we do all of these things all of the time with all of our students. We don't just like march down. It's again interconnected. And then finally, at the bottom, when you look at that, you see that the descriptions of the expert learner are there because when you do these things, you're helping take students toward becoming an expert learner. And you want all of these things to be part of the environment. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks for mentioning that graphic organizer. I had looked at that before and I really liked how it was structured and how the website gives a lot of detail because it doesn't just like have the blocks and list things and leave you to figure out what each point means on your own. Like I'm sitting here like I can click on each one. It takes me even further. Yeah. So yeah, you can go down a rabbit hole of sorts. Um, so, you know, I tell people if you're really starting with this or just new, choose one of those blocks. Like you could choose recruiting interest, which is the top left hand block under engagement and just stay within that block and read that information because you know we can all get click happy <laughs> and end up someplace else and we're like what well, i don't know what i'm learning about so then just back up and leave yourself in that block it's just a nice way to start investigating and looking i see that one of the things it talks about minimizing threats and distractions and a little bit this ties to a question i was going to ask you is so we know that udl helps everybody can help all learners i was curious about how does this impact mental health and also like how does mental health you know vice versa because it can affect their learning i would imagine i was wondering if you have like any examples about that or how that falls into this framework um the answer to that is yes definitely udl can support healthy mental health so i am i'm not a mental health expert i want to say that but i can say that i completely understand uh, recognize that the brain is totally interconnected and that when we create an environment that helps our learners build on those connections, that they move toward the outcomes of expert learners. Um, so I introduced or talked a little bit, um, well, sorry, the principle of engagement is the far left one. So we just talked about that a little bit. Um, and that stems from what we know is our affective networks. And the affective networks, they're deep in the center of our brain. So that's like the amygdala. People talk about that. Most, a lot of people know about the amygdala. So like when you get stressed or scared of something, then that like literally pulsates and then sends out emergency <laughs> messages. Weep, weep, right? Um, but also included in there is the brainstem. I mean, that's like the very thing that keeps us alive. We now know through neuropsychology that emotion is rooted there. So fascinating. But that all of that helps us connect with learning. And when we appropriately um, initiate and engage that part of our brain, which 
it does by nature anyway, but in a way that's helpful, then our students are able to connect in. So like the majority of my students who were identified as having mental health needs, either due to disability or just life circumstances, the supports and the ideas that are within the principle of engagement were definite supports. Um, all of the guidelines can help. So let's say, for example, under representation, there's a guideline about language and symbols. And that's all about like clarifying vocabulary, symbols, syntax, structure. It's about helping students break down, put together text and mathematical notations. It's about understanding across languages, using multiple media to do this. Okay, so Louie, how does this support mental health? Well, if you're in a classroom, you're a student, and you can't decode the story, you, you don't know how to read the words, but you know that your teacher is using a strategy called popcorn, and that's where one kid reads, and then either that kid gets to choose who the next person is, or maybe the teacher is just kind of owning the whole thing, Sage, on the stage, and they're controlling which kid reads. <clears throat> if you don't decode well, you're now panicking, like the amygdala is going crazy, right? That takes up your learning power. So you're, the student, you're, you're freaking out, right? But maybe quietly, but you can't focus. You're not li listening to the story. You're not comprehending what's going on. You're not learning. You are stressed out. That's not good. That's just not healthy mental health, right? So instead, students need to have a different way to decode the text. And maybe they would read it with a partner or listen to an audio book, or they listen while they're at a computer and they watch the screen as the words are bolded and they're you know, it's reading it out loud to them. All of these ideas are embedded in those checkpoints under that guideline. All of these things are there to help a teacher go, oh, here are some options that I can provide to my learners so they feel safe. So those threats are minimized, right? Those distractions are minimized. So now they can be a part of it. So um, another part of this little story is the popcorn reading, not good. Um, it's way less important than comprehension, right? We want our students to comprehend and you would never see something uh, like that really in the UDL framework because <laughs> it's just not, it's not healthy. But the framework in its entirety, again, it can really help support students' mental health. Would you mind sharing with us how incorporating UDL into our training and our resources can increase accessibility and just even comprehension of information? Yeah, so I utilize Universal Design for Learning whenever I'm designing any of my trainings or any of my resources because I want them to be accessible to every type of learner out there. And so I encourage anybody to do the same thing, um, no matter what you're training on. You could be in business, you could be in health sciences, wherever you are. And it goes back to these reasonings that I was just providing before. So it helps you understand and think through what kind of barriers there are for learners. We all come to teaching and training from our own lens. And no matter how broadly we have studied or talked with others or even how empathetic we are, we come from our own lens. And what Universal Design for Learning does for us is it helps us expand our lens and have some aha moments about, okay, these are some experiences other people have. I may not have had them, or I can't even fathom having some of them. That might be a comment in somebody's head. But instead, what you have is a guiding tool 
to help you think through all of the barriers, again, that participants might encounter within a training setting or within any kind of setting that you're designing. Um, I'm in the midst of helping design online training for educators in Malawi. And like everyone else in the world, things have shut down there and even more recently. Um, and this is a country where educators are not experienced using the digital community for learning. It's just not a part of what their country does. They have access to technology, many, many people do, but it's just been rare. And so we are working really hard to not only take the content that we need to deliver, but how we're gonna design that digital space to ensure that everyone can stay connected with it, that they can, they find interest in it, they can stay connected with it, um, and that they uh, kind of have that, that wherewithal that we all need to just stay regulated within digital learning. So using my experience, and then we can just kind of place that over maybe something that you guys would be um, developing. It's the same type of thing. You, you think about deeply about what your environment is going to be, whether that's face-to-face -face or digital or a hybrid. And then from there, you think about what those learning experiences are. And that's, that's the best way to use the framework. Does looking at the guidelines that we were looking at earlier, does that help you think of all these different things that maybe you weren't considering before, such as like the setting and your audience? Yes. Um, now, I have been deep, deep, deep into universal design for learning since uh, 2007. And so uh, I have a lot of it already kind of ingrained <laughs> who I am and how I operate. But I will say that again, anytime I develop a training uh, whether it's a one-hour workshop or whether it's multi-day or this is a long-term relationship, I've got my guidelines next to me and I'm running through them and just kind of doing a, um, it's not really a checklist because we don't want people to think, oh, I've checked off online boxes. I'm quote unquote doing UDL. It's not that way. Instead, you do want to make sure that you're touching on or that you are purposefully using pieces from each of those nine guidelines, but it's the purposefulness of it. So you have to be able to honestly answer, what's the purpose of using this guideline? What's the purpose of using this guideline? So the question drives us to do more thinking and reflection than just check, 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 check. I've been into plenty of classrooms where teachers did the check, 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 check. And you can see it because it's rudimentary. It's really, well, I provided them three different ways to do that assignment. But then the support and the interaction with the students and the desire to have them be successful across all of those three activities, it's not there. Instead of, it's the, oh, I gave it to them. It's kind of like tossing the ball out versus going in and being that support. It's a very different way to go after it. Uh, yeah, so I, I definitely still use the framework <laughs> all the time. I mean, the graphic organizer when I'm looking at it, yes. Thank you. Uh, I've heard people use the term UDL before in reference to assistive technology or technology-based learning. Can you clarify for us, you know, is technology required to infuse UDL in trainings or is it just sometimes or 
Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so UDL was definitely influenced by technology and assistive technology from the get-go. I gave some of that in the history. Um, the founders found, you know, this flexibility in learning that they'd never, ever seen before. So that was really critical. And they were excited about the potential. But since that time, the framework has shifted based on what's known about how the brain learns, and what learners need are options that lead them toward the lesson goal and provide them with opportunities to gain skills toward becoming expert learners. So when the UDL framework suggests using multiple media for communication, you'll find that under the guideline of expression and communication. That media could be hand-drawn pictures, songs sung by the teacher or the students, natural objects used to symbolize or replicate another object, so none of that is tied to technology. Um, so I'll tie back to the work um, within rural Malawi and then actually, actually also rural Uganda. There's definitely technology in those countries again, but not in all the schools. And in some cases, there's no electricity in the schools. So I'm still working with those teachers to bring UDL to life in those classrooms and it can be done. That said, it's true that technology can create a lot more options in learning and specific to students with disabilities, then there, there is an opening that is provided when you use that technology. So while UDL doesn't require it, you'll see references to technology throughout all nine guidelines. Um, the AIM Center, uh, which is AEM now, but it's affiliated with NCAST and it's the go-to location for information and resources. Um, for students with disabilities and for all other learners, the most important thing that we need to think about with technology is that to help students achieve the learning goal as part of the collection of choices. So while we're offering them access to the technology, some students aren't going to choose the technology once they become proficient in understanding their own learning needs. That's where we're taking them so that they own their learning so deeply that they're like, you know, that little computer game over there was kind of fun to play the first three times I played it, but I found out that it really didn't help me learn my spelling words like I know I need to learn them. So I'm going to use this strategy over here, which is far more effective for me because I want to meet my learning goal. Yeah, it's fun to play the game, but I want to meet my learning goal. So now that student has internalized their learning. And that's just beautiful to see. But they only do that when we provide that option for choice and that option for exploration. And we also guide that with self-reflection. Give our students time to self-reflect and reflect with others about their own learning needs. Thank you. That leads me a little bit to my next question. You made that point about how engagement really helps improve learning. So part of like MHCD with our National Training Center and even other organizations, you know, we work on developing information and resources for people with disabilities and their families. But so a lot of what we have is just written materials, you know. So is it important for us to consider UDL when we're developing those materials? And how can we incorporate the framework into just written materials? Maybe you don't have that chance for engagement with somebody. Right. Yeah, within written materials, that's really interesting and huge. Um, so 
One of the best things about the framework, again, is it helps us really think about how we're engaging the learning brain or engaging the brain in the action of learning. Um, and it reminds us that some things might not be, um, now think about things that are maybe not in our kind of mental pathway. So um, when we're thinking about written tools, I prefer to find a language use that is more familiar. Um, we can pass along a lot of good quality research-based information without having to inundate people with terminology and jargon. The wonderful thing about the digital-based written information or text-based information is that you can have links, right? We can do a hot link in there and it doesn't necessarily have to send them to another resource out there on the World Wide Web. We can build within our own systems links so that they can click on that and it'll bring up another text box to help describe whatever that piece of jargon is. Because sometimes we can't get away from the jargon, but we can thoughtfully create something that's text-based that offers um, clarity around that. There are also tools that are in any PC and Apple device that help people with um, listening to whatever text they have. So there are really easy step-by-step -step guides on how to set that up in the computers. So AIM has links to those things, but people can even just Google. How do I make my computer read to me? <laughs> and that's all in our accessibility um, um, options within our computers. And so even reminding people that if they don't like to read something that's about two pages long or five pages long or whatever, they can listen to it if they want to. So now you've provided another option for your audience to gain access to the information that you are providing. And then the last part of that is that when you're providing these options, it actually makes you write differently because we write text based on um, you know, these formalized guidelines that we've all learned over the years of how to write. But then when we read it out loud, we're like, oh, that is not how somebody talks <laughs> most of the time, right? So it might shift how you guys write things down or how you construct those, the newsletters or the information sheets or the fact sheets. It might change how those are written. And that can be a good thing because it could create more accessibility. Those are great points. Some of those I like make sure to think about now when I write fact sheets, but you brought up some great points that I hadn't even thought about, such as like having the computer read it back to me. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Cause I even notice like when I read it to myself in my head, like I'm emphasizing certain parts, but someone else reading it who doesn't know me, you know, might not be emphasizing the same parts and it might not make sense. So that's a great tip. Just sort of recap, you talked about having it read back to you, reminding them that they can have it read. Um, including links, which I think is a nice way to increase engagement, and watching the language that we use in that jargon, which I think is a great point to learn how to write differently based on, you know, coming from grad school to writing fact sheet, like who's my audience? Am I writing for academics? Or am I writing for individuals and their families who are just coming here to learn about it and get some helpful information? So right. those are some really good points I think everyone can take away. As a parting message, are there resources that you would recommend for people that are getting started with UDL? 
Yeah, first and always first is to know about CAST. And so their website is the www.castcast.org. And that's where you're going to find that interactive display of the UDL guidelines, like you referenced, we referenced earlier. Um, you'll find technical assistance for accessibility, that's at AIM Center, uh, learning resources and other online tools in there. Um, if you want to hear teachers talk about, or teachers and educators talk about their use of UDL, I have a podcast called UDL in 15 Minutes. So um, surprise, surprise, each episode is 15 minutes. Um, and the educators, they share concise stories. It's an interview um, about their use of the framework. And then specific to mental health, um, I have a, a few episodes that I would probably recommend. So there's episode one with Kim Babu, episode four with Laura Taylor, 29 has Diana Grace Morris and others, 37 with Kelly Culp, 39 with Dan Marsh, and then 40 with Megan Gross and um, Lisa Yamasaki. And they're all of the episodes, I think, are, are golden. I know that's my opinion. But anyway, people are just so heartfelt in sharing their experiences. And um, they're wonderful. They're true. They're honest. And so I think you can find things in any of them, but those specifically. Um, I have a card game that I created about UDL. And so I think it's a more engaging way to learn about the framework. Um, it's called Go Fishing with UDL. So it's based on that premise of going go fish that we played as kids. Um, I did create virtual <laughs> play instructions for people so you don't have to be sitting next to somebody and playing Go Fish right now. Um, I also have a coloring book that takes people into those underlying aspects of UDL. I gave that comparison with chemistry before. Um, there's more to the framework than just what you see on the guidelines. Um, and I wanted to make that an engaging way to learn about it. So there's a little coloring book. If you wanna dig deeper, I also, you know, I have the book Design and Deliver. The second edition comes out in February. Um, they're accepting pre-orders now, but I'm really jazzed about the second edition because I, I added in a lot more interactive uh, pieces. Um, and then uh, finally, but equally as important, uh, CAST has their own publishing arm. And I have books that are published through them also, but it's just a plethora of excellent authors and excellent resources. So um, cast publishing, you can get there through their uh, cast.org. But I would say that's a healthy place to start. Places, those are healthy places to start. <laughs> Thank you. And they sound like they're engaging too with the ways that they teach it. I really appreciate you talking to me, Lou. I've got to learn a little bit more about this myself. And yeah, it definitely makes me want to look into it more. And I appreciate you giving us all these resources to be able to do that. Very good. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate the, the invitation. This was fun to talk about. I love talking about how UDL uh, interrelates to all sorts of different topics. I think it does, and I think it can be helpful. And you asked great questions to help bring that out. So thank you, Tatiana. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MHDD Crossroads podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more resources and trainings, visit our website at mhddcenter.org. For any of the resources mentioned in this episode with Louis Lord Nelson, make sure to look in our show notes for all of the links. Follow us on social media at mhddcenter.org, and make sure to subscribe and share our podcast wherever you get yours. Thanks. <laughs>